Welcome to another edition of Reshaping America. This is your host, Kurt Flewelling. Well, it is the year end review. 2020 is gone. 2021 is here. Good riddance. Um, a lot of terrible, terrible things happen in the year 2020. A lot of good things as well. But we will, um, from a 50,000 foot view, we will go down from the top to the bottom of uh, kind of rapid fire many of the things that happen in the year 2020. Obviously, uh, number one on everyone's list, and there's at least 100 subcategories of this, COVID-19 um, has changed the world forever, uh, changed the United States, hopefully not forever, but in many respects it has. And uh, when we first encountered this at the beginning of 2020, back in uh, March, we did not know the magnitude of this um, from a uh, from a disease standpoint, and I would contend from a political standpoint, we had absolutely no idea of the political ramifications of COVID nineteen. So, on the um, on the clinical side, obviously a devastating devastating disease. Hundreds of thousands in this country have died. And uh, millions uh, across our globe have died, and we mourn for that. And we pray every day that the Lord just steps on this disease and kills it in the four corners of the earth. Um, a vaccine has rolled out, which is another that is a positive in uh, 2020. But uh, COVID 19 obviously was the biggest story of 2020. And when it all started, we uh, were very hopeful that um, it would not impact uh, the lives of uh, people all over the world, and particularly in America, like it has. But um, it has certainly been devastating. And uh, I would contend, and, and many contend, that the COVID-19 politics are far more destructive than anything that the disease could uh, rain down on society and we will discuss that as well um another big story obviously donald trump uh test positive for uh covid19 and the miraculous rebound from that now obviously the president of the united states is going to uh have at his fingertips all the best physicians in the world and all the best drugs but the fact that he contracted it at the age of 74, borderline obese, and um, in very short order, kicked COVID-19 to the curb and then went back to his schedule of four, sometimes five rallies a day is nothing short of miraculous. It's just absolutely love him or hate him. Just an amazing bounce back from COVID-19. Another big story, COVID-19 related is obviously, um, as I alluded to earlier, the Project Warp Speed. Heretofore, drug manufacturers, um, rightly so, had to go through very long and laborious um, phases of testing. Uh, so you and I uh, would be safe for any drug that the FDA uh, gives the thumbs up to. But um, Given the magnitude of uh, COVID-19 and its uh, far-reaching tentacles, uh, Donald Trump 
almost single-handedly um, created warp speed and just made sure that this thing in very atypical Washington uh, style got pulled through to the other side and um, did not get a lot of credit for it, um, got a lot of ridicule for rushing these vaccines and um, incentivizing the manufacturers of these vaccines to get it going as fast as they could. Many asserted he was doing this for political benefit. But now that the vaccine is out and people are taking it, benefiting from it, he is getting little or no credit for um, just absolutely trimming the uh, bureaucratic red tape that is involved with any FDA process. And um, I think that is a, a good, positive byproduct that we will carry in to 2021 and years to come as far as the approval process is concerned with drugs. And uh, we never want to rush things to market. But what an uh, what an amazing, amazing um, accomplishment. And this is this is why many people voted for Donald Trump in 2016 and again in 2020, because again, and I, I've uh, it's a broken record with me, love him or hate him. But I will say this. He gets it done. If he has something in his heart, mind, or soul, he will drag it across the finish line. And that is uh, indicative of the tenacity and the uh, fortitude and the perseverance of Donald Trump. So um, COVID-19, the politics of COVID-19. Wow, we could talk about that forever, right? Did any of us in our wildest imagination back in March when people were telling us to wear masks and boil our hands with Purell and all these things that eventually um, businesses would close? I, I have friends personally. I have uh, shops and companies that I frequent in the Philadelphia area here where we're broadcasting from that have simply gone out of business. And the selective nature by which some governors allow certain things to be open while other um, businesses were forced to shut down and subsequently many of them went under. People's lives, dreams, life savings just gone all in the uh, name of public health. And I use those terms very loosely because um, many of the things that remained open uh, throughout this, liquor stores and uh, many other uh, businesses and friends of politicians, businesses that stayed open, uh, while others who did not have the, the right political connections uh, were forced to close just sad it, you know we could we could have sad story after sad story after sad story and um you know it is um amazing governor wolf uh you know a few weeks ago when we were seemingly out of the woods um our numbers went up here in the commonwealth of pennsylvania and he just shut it down again and that was enough for many people to just say i, I can't deal with this anymore and it just seems that in red states, governors governed and um, the Orwellian measures that were implemented in blue states just did not happen. And I think one of the biggest, um, biggest sobering things that we can uh, 
we can derive from all this is, and it, it's very chilling going into 2021 because COVID-19 will come and go, but statists who have floated this trial balloon and told all of us, as I say affectionately, to uh, jump under the bed and, and shudder, and they will tell us when to return. Uh, they could not have predicted a better outcome for um, central planners, government largesse, um, people that feel that they can pick winners and losers, and state capitals in Washington, D.C. is populated with many, many folks like this. They could not have predicted how compliant and how willing to basically lay down and roll over the American public has been with many of these Orwellian um, COVID-19 lockdowns. Now, there has been some political fallout with that, and hopefully um, voters do not have short memories in, in um, 20, uh, 2021 when people are up for re-election in Congress and various state houses and as such and governors. Maybe uh, people will not forget the, uh, the crazy dictatorial way that people have um, comported themselves during this um, during this time, many times being quite hypocritical, saying one thing and doing another. So we have the politics of COVID nineteen, which is just um, devastating, and we'll see. It is uh, we have a vaccine, but it is not over uh, uh, in in the respect that Joe Biden has vowed for um, having uh, universal mask mandates, if you will, um, if he feels he has the power to even attempt that. Uh, states will push back. Um, many states um, already have pushed back with many of these um, draconian measures. And um, again, I am stunned how uh, willing a, a free and liberty-loving society such as the United States has really um, sat down and shut up, if you will. And we have discussed on this show several times why that happens and how that happens. And it's not necessarily, you know, people of one political stripe um, at odds with people from another political stripe or of another political stripe. It is a myriad of things, apathy, ignorance, um, people just want to go about their lives and they don't want to pay attention to the politics of COVID-19. They can't fathom in their wildest imagination that um, politicians and really evil people would be exploiting this as much as they have. They, it, they just cannot get their um, minds around that. And I think a lot of that stems from naivety and it stems from not paying attention for several years as politicians have continued unabated to march down a road of um, big state government. And we shall see. But COVID-19 has, has certainly affected the lives of many of us. And, and back, you know, we'll, we'll jump back and forth from the political to the clinical. It is obviously affected the lives of people clinically. Um, there are people that have died. There are people that have gotten 
uh, very, very sick from this. And um, to say that this disease is not real and it's not devastating would be equally um, um, political for people on the right to say that. And I know there's a fair amount of people on the right to, that do say that. So we have to kind of go down a parallel road with COVID-19. We have to be respectful of uh, the contagious nature of this disease. The fact that if you are in certain demographics, 80 years or older, there's a lot of people 80 years or older, believe it or not. Um, people that may be a little younger than that, but do indeed have comorbidities. What we mean by that is other disorders, if you will, for lack of uh, technical words here, um, uh, diabetes, obesity, heart problems. We can go on and on. If you have co comorbidities and I have friends that are in that category, it doesn't really matter how conservative you are or how liberal or you are or how liberty loving you are. You got to be careful and being reckless with COVID-19 is stupid. Driving down, as I've said many times, the Pennsylvania Turnpike at the age of 19 with no one in your car and your destination is an hour away with a double mask on is, is equally as stupid. So when emotions are high, when politics is at the fore, then we tend to be emotional and not think. And as I've said many times, if, if you want to look at the pure mortality figures of COVID-19 in the United States of America, good luck. You can't find those figures readily. They are buried oftentimes on the fourth page of a Google search. And that's another, um, that's another thing that we'll talk about today, how big tech, um, this was the year of big tech, uh, 2020, and some of the abuses uh, of big tech and how they were marched to Washington and politicians grandstanded and said, blah, 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 blah. But nothing really ever happened to, um, to big tech to change anything. Maybe in 2021, it will. So, um, COVID-19 real, if it has affected your family, um, adversely, my thoughts and prayers are deeply with you and your loved ones and your friends. And um, I was just discussing this with somebody the other day. You know, it doesn't really matter about mortality rates if it affects you directly. We had some really good friends back in 2009 when um, Obama and uh, Joe Biden didn't really do a heck of a lot about the swine flu. And um, we didn't really care as Americans, although it affected many, many people. Um, we had friends that their daughter almost died from the swine flu. And stick a microphone in their face and tell them uh, or ask them what they think of the swine flu. So if this affects you uh, directly, uh, young, old, or in the middle, your views on COVID-19 and the politics of COVID-19 are very, very different than other people that uh, this disease may not have affected. So we have COVID-19, clearly the biggest story of 2020. Um, I think uh, 
and it is COVID and many of my, you know, all these stories that I've jotted down here are COVID-19 related. Um, Joe Biden wins the election. Okay. Now that statement in and of itself before January 6th here has um, infuriates a lot of people on the right. So um, I understand and I fully empathize with individuals that think this election was stolen. I, I think you really don't have to be a politico. You don't have to be that bright. You don't have to be um, do that much research. You don't even have to listen to the right people on the radio or television or podcasts or wherever you get your information from to come up with this election was stolen. And this is not, um, you know, we have new listeners all the time. Full disclosure, I'm not a Republican. I'm not a Democrat. I am a conservative. I am a born again Christian, uh, faith based voter, if you will. And, um, not a huge Donald Trump fan, although I am um, very happy with many of the things he has done over the last four years. I will say that. But uh, I am a guy that you should listen to as far as objectivity is concerned when it comes to Donald Trump and things like this. And um, we're here in the city of Philadelphia. Do I need to say much more than that? The corruption in the city of Philadelphia, absolutely widespread and um, the, the lawless, reckless craziness that went on in in broad daylight is something that should scare you in any corner of the United States of America. Topeka, Kansas, Albuquerque, Wyoming, doesn't really matter. If corruption and craziness like that can happen in a major city in you know, the country, it, that is of concern anywhere you are. So, um, legislatures in every state, but particularly the, um, the key swing states, um, those seven states that we all know very well now, Michigan, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, Arizona, Georgia, believe it or not, North Carolina, um, uh, Nevada, all these states and, and, and many more, uh, the legislatures in, in many instances have let their, um, citizens down. Um, governors have operated in a totalitarian way. Um, the judiciary in, in many of these states, particularly in the state of Pennsylvania has just had a, a wanton reckless regard for election law in this state, but it doesn't really matter. So back to my original statement, uh, big story of 2020, Biden wins the election. I, I say wins, you know, with, with big time quotes, because in a perfect world, in the eyes of God, um, Joe Biden certainly did not win this election. And this is, again, not a political hack talking to you. It just defies comprehension. Um, the the I, landslide crazy victory and the historic victory of um, Barack Obama in 2008 and, and Joe Biden gets more African-American votes and, and Democrat votes and votes in general in the uh, particularly African-American votes in the major cities in those seven key states more than Barack Obama. How in the world 
does that happen? And, you know, we could go on, and I'm not going to take a lot of time, but the uh, algorithmic anomalies in the voting machines, the uh, the corruption, Republican poll watchers being told to go home. We've all seen the videos. We've all heard of the affidavits, the legal challenges. Um, regardless, if Joe Biden is inaugurated in the third week in January, uh, he did not win this election. But I say Biden wins the election because in all probability, he will probably be sworn in as the president of the United States in three weeks. Um, I hope he is not. I hope um, God has some miraculous 11th and a half hour um, uh, revelation that will enlighten, educate the the great unwashed, the great masses out there that really don't look at these things the way perhaps you and I do. But um, and I pray that that happens. But in all probability, got to report it like it is right now, at least to this day, which is January first, two thousand twenty-one. Joe Biden has won this election. And um, another big thing that happened in 2020 is um, Kamala Harris, African-American woman, uh, vice president of the United States. Uh, That's amazing Um, where she is on the political um, continuum, the corruption that is in her uh, past and Joe Biden's past withstanding. It is it is a historic thing that has happened uh, Kamala Harris being um, the first female vice president of the United States and first African-American um, vice president of the United States. So it's um, it's a big deal, regardless of what you think of her, regardless of how she got to where she is. Reality is, um, in three weeks, she will be the vice president of the United States, which is amazing. It's absolutely amazing. And the year 2020 was amazing for good. And for bad, I remember where I was in the fall as we were um, marching ever closer to this historic election when I heard that Ruth Bader Ginsburg died. Oh, my goodness. That was absolutely amazing. And the Democrats um, vowed that they would fight tooth and nail to um, oppose anybody that Donald Trump um, picked to succeed uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg. And at the end of the day, they fought, but Donald Trump picked a candidate that was pretty much bulletproof, Amy Coney Barrett, a um, devout Catholic, um, strict constructionist, which we need at any uh, level uh, of the judiciary. And a woman that was basically unassailable. So what happened with Brett Kavanaugh simply could not happen with Amy Coney Barrett. They tried a, a, threw a few pebbles at her, but um, they tried the, um, the religious thing, but it just didn't work because the woman is absolutely unassailable. And um, she succeeds Ruth Bader Ginsburg on the court. Now, subsequently... Um, there have been some very major decisions that she has had to um, voice her opinion on. 
Uh, she hasn't disappointed um, yet uh, the the court, if you will. Um, some would would contend it is a six to three court with um, constructionists um, having six um, people on the court, and and the other three are are certainly judges that feel that the Constitution is a living, breathing document, which it is not. However, um, I would say it's more like five to four because uh, Judge Roberts, as we have discussed on this show several times, is just a, he's a quirky dude. And uh, people get on the court and I think they just start to get a little too full of themselves and think it's about them rather than the Constitution. And um, John Roberts, in his attempt, I can, uh, as best I can speak for John Roberts, his attempt to keep the court an apolitical entity has made the court a very political entity. Um, and the, the biggest shining example of that was when his vote uh, pretty much sealed the doom of anybody that um, hates universal health care or um, uh, socialized medicine, if you will, when he rendered uh, a verdict um, that was bizarre at the least. So, and, and many other times, John Roberts has um, has been very quirky with his decisions. He'll make two or three decisions that are just very solid, very indicative of someone that looks at the Constitution as a, um, uh, it is what it is, a strict constructionist view of the Constitution, but then other times it's absolutely whacked. So the um, Amy Coney Barrett coming on to the court as a very young woman was a big, big deal. And uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg dying, obviously very uh, paving the way for that. Uh, an iconic um, jurist herself over decades um, was urged on a few occasions by politicians, none the least of which... Um, Barack Obama, maybe you should step aside so we can get somebody in here that's nice and young and fresh. And it didn't happen. And uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg passed away. And that led to Donald Trump doing what he vowed to do in 2015. And I've, I've had uh, numerous debates and discussions with people in 2015 and 16 about Donald Trump. And it always gets back to... Um, an issue that is pretty difficult to deny. Uh, Donald Trump said he would appoint um, judicial nominees that are strict constructionists. And for the most part, he has um, Gorsuch and Barrett being strict constructionists. I don't know if Kavanaugh can be considered a strict constructionist, but he's pretty solid. So uh, Donald Trump... Again, love him or hate him, if you are a conservative, uh, he has done mighty things as far as uh, the courts are concerned. Now, it does beg the question, should the court have as much power as it has? And it, it obviously should not. And I've said this several times over the years, nature abhors a vacuum. If the legislature fails to legislate and for a good and bad reason, then that legislative uh, responsibility 
it should not be picked up by any of the other two branches, but most oftentimes it is. And um, Barack Obama did many things extra constitutionally, did not wait for the legislature to get it together. And the court also over the last particularly 20 years has done, as we have all heard the term legislate from the bench. So if the Congress is not going to get it together as far as legislating is concerned, then one of the other or both of the other two branches of government will, will certainly pick up the slack. And that's what has happened. So, you know, many people miss that point. If the, if the judiciary um, is going to operate like this and they are allowed to operate like this um, by Congress, if you will, in many respects, then it almost uh, becomes necessary for a Republican president to nominate strict constructionists. But that kind of misses the point. But back to the original, you know, 2020 being a, a, a just a huge year with many stories that are just mind blowing. Amy Coney Barrett was and the death of uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg was huge. Um, another thing that was happening all in the midst of a political season and COVID-19 was um, George Floyd. Uh, George Floyd died in Minneapolis. Um, police officer, uh, big time, stepped over his bounds and um, used um, restraining forces that anybody with common sense would say um, is just wrong. Uh, in a world where right and wrong is oftentimes blurred, um, you know, I, I don't know if you have to be a conservative, a faith-based voter, a follower of God, Democrat, Republican, to just see the video and see what happened. And what happened was um, a man was killed unnecessarily, and that led to widespread protests throughout the country, and not that dissimilar to the COVID-19 thing, um, leftists, statists, bad people, ladies and gentlemen, uh, in the words of uh, the famous uh, Rahm Emanuel, uh, Clinton confidant and Chicago mayor, never let a good crisis go to waste. Um, and how do they, I mean, who, who thinks like that, right? Well, uh, it's right out of the Saul Alinsky playbook, ladies and gentlemen. When people are emotionally worked up and angry and fearful, as they are oftentimes during crazy times, COVID-19 or uh, the death, the wrong, uh, wrongful death of George Floyd or other um, citizens or African-Americans specifically, but citizens in general at the hands of, of police, um, those situations, those uh, times are oftentimes exploited by leftists to um, enact uh, big government edicts and to erode freedoms. And in, in many instances, uh, the uh, Black Lives Matter movement that really took on a new meaning after George Floyd is very similar to the COVID-19 situation where you have an unfortunate situation that is exploited by people that do not care about lives in general, but even specifically black lives. Um, 
and the Black Lives Matter movement was born, a, a Marxist by their own admission um, uh, movement. Um, and it is almost impossible to assail the Black Lives Matter movement in general because it has so many tentacles. Um, it's like a politician that says, I'm for uh, sunsets and puppy dogs and chicken in every pot. You can't really assail it. So it, it is it is brilliantly named because every person on the face of the earth um, should agree with the statement that Black Lives Matter. However, um, you have uh, forces at the top of this movement who are devout Marxists. Um, and as we have chronicled on this show several times, what does the communist, the socialist, the Marxist, the statist, if you will, the, uh, the totalitarian, the dictator, they're all subtle nuanced uh, differences between all those things. But the, the common thread that runs through all of the aforementioned um, dogmas is this. We need to get rid of God. We need to get rid of the family. If God is stripped away, um, as any Marxist will tell you, and the family and any logical um, you know, uh, thinking or influence that your parents or your siblings or your friends can impart on you are stripped away, if you are more or less uh, segregated from those entities or the aforementioned entities, uh, i.e. religion, is uh, squelched at every turn, then the poor citizen has all of this stripped away and the hopes are that they will reach out to a benevolent government or a dictator that will meet their needs and that is the uh, that is the common premise behind marxism or any of these other dogmas and if you really wanted to assign a percentage of american citizens that either understood what i just said or if they understood it felt that um, the Black Lives Matter movement was steeped in Marxism, I think that percentage would be very low, and I think that's sad. So um, when you went to any particular um, protest, if you will, uh, post-George um, Floyd in the summer, you know, it, there, there was an amalgamation of people in 2020. You had... Um, you know, they, they, they said, and I think it's accurate, and I've seen it in the Philadelphia area and around Pennsylvania, the the most common demographic with a protester at any of these places is your 20-year-old white woman who comes from privilege. What that person understands or knows or can empathize with, with a black man that has been abused by a police officer, I will not know. I, I, I can't fathom. But that is your that is the face of your average um, um, protester over the summer in 2020. And um, so you have an amalgamation of people that really are concerned with black lives as they should be. You have deep pocketed organizers that are concerned with um politicians being elected that are soft on crime and big on state intervention. Um, and you have opportunists that really are not even remotely related to those two entities. They just want to steal stuff. 
So if there's a, a garden variety riot going on, it's an opportunity to get some sneakers or a designer top, or if you're bold enough to get some guns out of a gun shop. Um, but the poor unfortunate soul that tried to do that in Philadelphia was met with um, some force by the owner of the gun shop. Um, so that was your protest and everybody in this country has the right to protest peaceably. They do not have the right to injure people, kill people, or at the least destroy property. They cannot do that. Um, holding up pictures of Martin Luther King, who would, was a man of God and a, and a peaceful protester himself. Um, Martin Luther King would, would not, um, would not relate to any of the craziness that was going on in American cities in the summer of 2020, uh, particularly Portland, Seattle, Minneapolis. Um, Minneapolis, uh, ground zero, if you will, of the um, George Floyd and Black Lives Matter movement, summarily um, neutered and defunded their police. And then as we have um, chronicled on this show, um, their their city council months later was just and I, and I really think they were serious. They were absolutely befuddled why police officers were not answering calls. Um, you defund them, you minimize them, you cut the your staff. Um, Any time a police officer responds to a call. He's hit in the head with a pipe or um, a bottle of frozen water or oftentimes far worse. Um, and that particular police officer does not respond to a garden variety um, call for help from the citizens. And, and you can't understand that. Um, and I don't know what's sad, more sad that the, the, the phenomenon itself or the bewildered looks on the faces of the woke young hipsters on the Minneapolis City Council um, that really were just amazed and stunned that police were not responding to calls. So, I mean, what do you think is going to happen? These, these men and women, the vast majority of them not corrupt, not racist, who are literally the last line of defense between good people and bad people um, are maligned, they're injured, they're killed, they are defunded, and the end result of that cannot be good for anybody. And it was not in Minneapolis and various cities throughout the country. Uh, Portland and Seattle, again, examples of uh, weakness, fecklessness, um, lack of leadership by uh, mayors and governors of those um, cities and states where protesters were allowed to have their own zones, if you will, little mini worlds where people were raped, injured, killed, and um, just staggering that uh, police barracks were surrounded, uh, many times attempted to be burned down. I mean, th these, these are some chilling things that happened in the year 2020. And um, politics, again, 
reared its ugly head um, as, as bizarre and as, as a, um, as a clear, as you can imagine, um, view of what big government, big statism is all about when uh, people are allowed to do this for days, weeks, and months in the case of Portland. Um, as much as that's a nice window into what um, socialism, uh, liberalism, uh, leftism, if you will, statism is, the Democrats were smart enough uh, when even people that don't pay attention, apolitical people, were were believing their eyes, even though CNN told them not to believe their eyes during the summer. Um, and it was starting to trend poorly for Joe Biden. They, the higher entities of the Democrat Party, got the word down from the top that, hey, we, we got to stop the craziness because we can't win elections with just crazy people. We need thoughtful Democrats. We need um, moderate Democrats and moderate Republicans to vote for Joe Biden. You got to knock this stuff off. So, if you think in your wildest imagination that many of these movements were organic and um, just kept smoldering on their own, you're out of your mind. Uh, big politicians, big money from all over the world was fueling this, fomenting this. And if it could, if it could rise this quickly and stop that quickly for political reasons, it can rise again. And, um, it's something we should all be very concerned about. So we saw that and um, it was troubling. Uh, let's go back earlier in 2020, the impeachment of Donald Trump. Does anybody really remember that? Um, after all of the aforementioned things on the show today? Well, it happened. It happened in 2020. Um, I remember being on the radio and looking at Mr. Producer and saying, this isn't going to happen. This is just not going to happen. Um, Nancy Pelosi's not going to do this. It was uh, the latter portion of 2019. She's not going to do this. Um, uh, there's no political will to do it, but their, their blind emotional hatred for Donald Trump and the making it up as, as it goes along, uh, coupled with the naivete, the apathetic nature of um, and the just the busyness and navigating COVID nineteen of of many people that you know should really know better. You know this thing marched out the Russia collusion thing, the the Ukrainian phone call that was so terrible. Um, I mean, we we live in a really warped world, and we should really be very concerned with big tech and big government colluding. And uh, we've discussed it on the show several times, the, the disseminating of disinformation. Here you have a situation where we are being told to check our brains at the door and take our eyeballs out and not believe them when we see a video readily available of Joe Biden basically using taxpayer money to set up uh, an extortion situation in Ukraine to get someone fired that was investigating his son and not only doing it, but doing it on video and not only doing it on video, but bragging about it at the end of the video with a punctuation mark. And then you have a benign phone call 
with Donald Trump and the new leader of Ukraine. And I mean, the two of those things could not be farther apart. One is extraordinarily indicting, even if you don't understand the FISA court or any of the nuances of of um, the uh, issue. Uh, to anyone, that is someone with their armpit firmly or their arm firmly up to their armpit in the cookie jar. And then you have Donald Trump who really did not do anything wrong. And, you know, lo and behold, he becomes impeached. So um, as much as that was a sham, as much as it didn't resonate with a lot of people, unfortunately, when you look historically, he is in the record books as being impeached, the third president that was um, that was impeached. Um, certainly not justified, but it happened. And, uh, you know, Donald Trump is someone that it doesn't really matter if you like him. It doesn't really matter if you feel that many of the things in the last four years that this country uh, has experienced for the good are a direct result of Donald Trump. It doesn't really matter. As a human being, you have to look at Donald Trump as someone that is a very strong individual. I, I don't, I can't, um, I can't speak for his faith. He uses the word God a fair amount. He um, swings the Bible around uh, from time to time, and I'll just leave it at that. I, I can't, I can't speak for the man's faith, but he is a strong individual because he's been a very lonely individual from 2015 till the the time of this broadcast with not a lot of people helping him out. And um, the impeachment was just, um, you know, another example of that. Yes, the House voted pretty unanimously for Republicans to vote against it, and he was saved removal in the Senate. But um, Donald Trump is not a sympathetic figure, and I think at the end of the day, that was his... um, that was his downfall. Um, you, you could say this is his downfall and that's his downfall. The man was a fighter. That's why his opponents did not like him. But his opponents fighting against him and, and, and doing sham impeachment trials and many of the other things that they've done relentlessly week after week for five years is not ultimately what did in Donald Trump, if you will, uh, as far as... Um, being elected to a second term. I think that segment of the political establishment and the segment of the, um, you know, the citizenry um, felt that Donald Trump was just not a sympathetic figure. It's hard to be sympathetic when you're a billionaire and you're bombastic and you're opinionated and you're in some people's estimation, a bully and you're crass and you're crude. Um, When it comes time to need as many friends as you need to help you out with this, um, to be on your side in the last two months with all this massive voter fraud in the United States of America, um, I think his ultimate demise was many people that are not shedding too many tears that he is going off into this good night, basically sat on their hands and let the clock run out on Donald Trump. I think there's a lot more, a lot of people, um, 
at the highest level of um, the judicial system and right down to the lowest level, people in, in the House of Representatives, people in Senate, and, and many other very influential, powerful people on this planet could have done a lot more for Donald Trump from day one, but certainly a lot more in the last couple months to help him out because this election was stolen. And I think many of those individuals, ladies and gentlemen, just remained silent. And they said, you know, good riddance. We need a little bit more stability, which, yeah, trading stability for the same old, same old is very dangerous as far as liberty is concerned. But I think that is ultimately at the end of 2020 here, what um, was the final nail in the coffin of Donald Trump, at least for now. Some people think that he's coming back in 2024. The um, the nomination is his for the taking. Uh, there's no less than a dozen Republicans that have a different opinion of that. So um, that's Donald Trump. Uh, in the remaining minutes of the show here, we can talk about big tech and um how they have changed the lives of you and I, at least for the foreseeable future, in a very bad way. Um, the uh, instances of the squelching of free speech and the censoring of uh, certain entities and individuals is is never been so apparent in this country as it was in 2020. And again, uh, Donald Trump being a lightning rod and the, the raw motion and visceral hatred of the man did motivate big tech and big money and, and powerful people all over the world to collude together to get a certain message out and probably more accurately blunt a certain message of, of Joe Biden. I mean, you know, those, those images of the man sitting in his basement day after day after day week after week as as the election got closer and Donald Trump simply outworking him in one city or another and then having Joe Biden actually win the election. You really don't need to know much more about the whole situation than that. Um, that one makes you scratch your head. But there are literally another 50 things that will make you scratch your head about this whole way that um, information is disseminated. Uh, propaganda is um, perpetrated. And w again, uh, if you don't have numbers in Congress or the Senate, you can have all these really chilling figures come up to um, Capitol Hill every week. And it seemed like they were coming up, you know, once a month. And it doesn't really matter. Um, a couple of bombastic conservatives go blah, 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 slap them around a little bit. Um, Zuckerberg will stare back in this spooky, you know, non-eye movement type of a persona that he has, and then he just goes back and does whatever he needs to. So um, with big tech really censoring all forms of speech, this is a good time for you to go to the ultimate um, resource for the truth, which is the Holy Bible. And... Um, That'll never let you down. And in these times where you don't know truth from fiction or up is down or black is white or what to think about COVID or what you think about the cops or what you think about the politicians, you need to be steeped in Christ. 
and uh, it's probably a good way to end the show. Let's end the show with some scripture that'll help you say goodbye to 2020 and may help you in 2021. First Peter 5, 7, one of my all-time favorites. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. You anxious out there, ladies and gentlemen? I certainly am. And I know there's a lot of people that are much more anxious than I am. And think about that. There are people that don't know Jesus Christ. How anxious are they? So uh, give your life to Jesus Christ and then cast all of your anxiety on him because he cares for you. You and I are not equipped to put all the concerns of 2020 on our shoulders and just navigate um, life in America. We're just not. It's just 2020 was uh, just mind-blowing and we don't know if 2021 is going to be worse. But we do know that our Lord is true. His word is true. And if we rely on him and cast our anxiety on him, um, we're going to be okay. Uh, next verse, another all-time favorite, John fourteen twenty-seven. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. And do not be afraid. If you ever do a search of how many verses there are in the Bible on fear, it would blow you away. And our Lord knew that we would be fearful, particularly in tumultuous times like we are living in now. And um, in the midst of that, we keep our eyes uh, on God and not let our hearts be troubled. Um, it helps. And if we're not afraid and we're calm and we just rely on the Lord to just see us through another day, that's a good thing. Last, certainly not least, Psalm 31, 24, be strong and take heart, all you who hope in the Lord. Um, again, uh, talking about your heart, do not let your heart be troubled. Um, take heart, have a strong heart, um, be in control uh, take every thought captive. These are all good scriptures that we um, hopefully utilize to get us through 2020. But I suspect until Jesus comes back, 2021 is going to have its own challenges. And if we cling to the word of God and and just go to our prayer closet instead of CNN or Fox or talking to our neighbors and wringing our hands and being fretful or waiting for our governor to tell us what to do. Why don't we just tune all that out more times than not and go to our prayer closet and ask God, what, what do you think about this? What would you like to impart to me? What's truth? What's not? We need him more than ever, ladies and gentlemen. And I pray with everything I have that if you do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you certainly don't waste any time uh, and enter into one, particularly as 2021 starts, it would be a great New Year's resolution for you to um, to take. Um, this is Kurt Flewelling, Reshaping America. Until next week, have a great day.